So, John, if you could know three events in the future, mm-hmm. what three events would you like to know? I think I'd like to know what the three biggest must-see TV shows are going to be over the next five years, mm-hmm. and which was going to have the most disappointing ending, <laughs> so I could save myself a lot of time and investment. <laughs> yeah, I like that very much. That's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> What a gift that would be. What a yeah. great X-Men superpower. Yeah. <laughs> the ability to know if an ending to a TV show is worth it or not. Yeah. I'd have a name like Zeus X Machina or something. Mm. Like. <laughs> not know what it is, just know if it's worth just it. Just know it's not going to be worth it. Oh, yeah, that mm. might be my power. I could tell the world. I, I could save people from mm-hmm. years of investment just to find out that bloody Bran ends up on the throne. Would you like to have not known about Game of Thrones? To be fair, I mean, I enjoyed the whole show enough. Some, some might say that the show justified the mm. fact that it didn't end well, so... Mm-hmm. No, I'd probably still watch. But at least I could be smug about it. Like, yeah. it's not going to end well. <laughs> I could be smug on the internet. That's my X-Man power. Mm-hmm. Smug on the internet. Smug on the internet. Yeah. Wow. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, the podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. Today is episode two of our disaster movie season mm-hmm. and it's my choice this week and it's our first ever Nicolas Cage film. That seems weird it- that we've gone two years and never done a Nicolas Cage movie. Mm. I'd have to go back, but I think you're right. I'm pretty sure we haven't, but it seems like a big oversight on our part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we, this this film scratches the surface of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I would not put this down as peak Nicolas Cage. Personally. No, definitely not. No. No. He's he, he's neither crazy nor sensible in this. This is the thing. I, I it, It's very, very middle of the road for him. Well, one of the things I noticed about this film, watching this, I realised the secret to Nick Cage's acting is volume control. Because <laughs> he, he only has two volumes. He has shouty crazy Nick Cage, which we all love. <laughs> or he's very whispery like this and nothing goes above this decimal. Like... Mm. This film, he never spoke at, like, a regular human tone. Everything was whispered, mm-hmm. and there was occasional sh- occasionally some shouting. Yeah. But not enough shouting. Sure, yeah. I like it when Nick Cage goes full, the bees, the bees! <laughs> that, that's my Nick Cage. <laughs> yep, fair yeah, enough. So. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Well, so this week we're doing Knowing, yeah, uh, which is a disaster movie where... Uh, well, tell you what, I'll do a plot summary before we do sequels. So... <laughs> that, that's how it works, yeah. Uh, we start off in 1959, I think it is. Uh, something like yes, it, yes, it is because this film came out in 2009 and mm. it's 50 years after the event. Yeah, so. it's the opening of a high school, and to celebrate, seemingly just one class of this quite large high school. I don't know. They're gonna do a time capsule thing, which was actually suggested by this one girl called Lucinda. Lucinda. Creepy, creepy Lucinda. Creepy, creepy Lucinda, who doesn't look like the sort of person who fits in well. No. And so, yeah, they're, they're how they're going to do this time capsule, bury it, and dig it up in 50 years' time. It seems like a very expensive, like, labour-intensive class project. Because when, I remember when, in, in my school, we did a time capsule thing where we just literally had a shoebox, put mm. some cassettes in it, and, mm-hmm. you know, put some Mesa Base cassettes in it and stuff, and buried it in the ground. <laughs> that was mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> still probably buried. Um <laughs> But one day. Mm-hmm. But this one, it's like they have to break the concrete. It's like a big metal container. It's mm. like, it's a huge big deal. Like, yeah. 
Well, they didn't look like a, uh, a low-budget school either. No, so, no, sure, yeah. You know, maybe they had the budget for that sort of thing, to dig a little hole and just line it nicely. And mm-hmm. They have a whole ceremony it. for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And so all the uh, all the students, they have to make drawings of things yeah. to put into the into the time capsule for, you know, and then 50 years they'll be uncovered by other students and just yes. given out, which I'd be super disappointed by. Oh, it's a drawing of a rocket. Great. Yeah. Don't really know who drew this. I bet I have no sort of context of this. That's yeah. I, mean, I thought that the point of time capsule was to put in things that are relevant at that time. Yeah. Not to just like draw shit. Mm. I guess, I guess the idea was that they were drawing what they thought the future was going to look like, so that's why they drew rockets and stuff. Right? Sure, and I guess in 69, Space Age would be yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and so the, uh, the the little girl, Lucinda, uh, instead of drawing a, a nice pretty drawing, she has two sides of A4 of just numbers. Yeah. She essentially sends a spreadsheet through. Yeah. I was like, is she <laughs> writing down pi? Like, it's like, like a million numbers yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which also seems... I mean, there's there's so many problems with this film. There's, there's loads. We, yeah, I have we will we will so get, many questions. <laughs> we'll get into a lot of things. Yeah, and so that all goes into the time capsule, and then cut to fifty years later. Mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage has a son in school. Yeah, at the age of about tenish or something. Yeah, the first time we see Nicholas Cage, it's like it's 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 the kid's bedtime on Sunday mm-hmm. in late autumn. Yeah, and Nicholas Cage is outside barbecuing in pitch black. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. And drinking by himself <laughs> on, on, a, on a Sunday evening. Yeah, it paints a very clear picture of what this man's life is. <laughs> Just barbecuing in the dark yeah. for one, like, yeah. <laughs> living the bachelor dream. And like the kid seems like the the son of Ross Geller. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's like, oh no, sorry, I don't want to have a barbecue. I want to go inside and watch the National Geographic. Yes. Or something, and it's just weird. It's one of those movies where the kids are more precocious than the adults, and I really yeah. hate that. Yes, but, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I'm vegetarian now, didn't you know? Sort yeah. of thing. Like, oh, sh- Fuck off. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, you took the words out of my mouth. From the boy who was also a childhood vegetarian. Oh. Yeah, but not by choice. <laughs> no, that's right, you were just abused, so... Yeah. Yeah. Mm, where are you going? To watch that Discovery program. But it's Dad's famous Sunday night hot dogs on the run. Time. I can't consume that. I've decided to become a vegetarian. Well, when were you planning on telling the guy who buys the groceries around here? Are you deaf? I just told you now, Dad. So he's a single dad. The mm. mother has died. Mm. And the kid is not deaf but has some kind of hearing problem. Oh, yeah. So has to wear a hearing aid, which will become important later. Ish. Um, <laughs> maybe? Question yeah. mark? Even though he's not deaf and he seems to hear perfectly well, even without his hearing aid in, because he takes it out all the time. Yeah. He has become fluent in sign language, just in case. Yeah, and so then I think we follow Nicolas Cage around a bit during the night, and he's he's an alcoholic. He, yeah, he's, he does a lot of day drinking, and a lot of night drinking. Yeah. He's, he's always drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, his house looks like it's been partially burned down. Yes, it does. <laughs> he's got like a, once again, like every film of this type ever, he, he lives in a massive mansion in the woods mm-hmm. with no neighbours. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever lives in like a cul-de-sac in these films. No, they it's don't do they? Mansion in or the like woods. like a terrace house or yeah, something. Yeah, nothing. Never a flat. Just, no. yeah. yeah, so he lives in this giant house in the woods, and... Parts of the house look really nice. Like, mm. his son's bedroom looks fine. Yeah, yeah. But then he kind of staggers into his little study room or something. And there's a really weird shot where he just kind of slumps down into his mm. chair, his, like, easy chair. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like there's a TV on the wall opposite him or anything. It seems like it's just an empty room. Mm. But, but all the walls are literally, like, 
blackened. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they're a bit. There's no woman's touch in the house for a while. It's literally like it's burnt down, and yeah. he's not bothered to like rebuild or anything. Pretty much, yeah. And he just kind of there's a weird shot where he just kind of manspreads on this armchair <laughs> with a bottle of whiskey hanging out of his hand and just mm-hmm. kind of stares into space for an uncomfortably long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's his character. Yes, so that's that, that's that. Then we cut to the next day and he's like a professor or something. He's a professor at MIT, which is like one of yes. the top, I believe, one of the top engineering science mm-hmm. universities in all of America. Mm-hmm. And he's asking his class of college-age students, yeah. what is the sun? <laughs> yeah. And like, they're, they're giving... They're giving answers that we can understand. Yes. When they really should be giving away... Like, high school students can yeah. understand this. Well, I mean, he asks one kid, and did you notice who it was? Liam Hemsworth. Liam yes. Hemsworth. His fir- <laughs> first ever on-screen role. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, a, very, a young Liam Hemsworth, he asks him, tell me one thing about the sun. Hmm. And Liam Hemsworth goes, it's hot. Yeah. Boom. That's a wrap on Liam Hemsworth. That's it. <laughs> Out of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird that he yeah. wasn't in it for... Any bit longer. Well, he wasn't famous. It was literally just like yeah. a job. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Spencer, tell me something about the sun. It's hot. <laughs> yeah, and one of his uh, colleagues is Ben Mendelsohn. Yes. Who? Why would you cast Ben? This this film had reverse Geostorm. <laughs> like in Geostorm, we had Ed Harris. It's like well, obviously Ed Harris is the villain. Yeah. You can't cast Ed Harris and not expect us to assume he's going to be the villain. Mm. This film cast Ben Mendelsohn, not the villain. What a waste of Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, it really was, because he didn't do anything in this. And this is a problem I had with this film, is that there were no characters. Mm -hmm. Like, Nicolas Cage's character didn't have a a personality other than drunk and sad. Mm -hmm. Like, he really could have used, like, a friend to bounce off. Yeah. Like, Ben Mendelsohn's his friend slash colleague. Like, Mm -hmm. they have one slightly uncomfortable, weird, badly written conversation about, (laughs) hey, remember that girl, PHDDs? Oh, my God. His sister, Ben (laughs) Middleton's sister. So, yeah, his sister-in-law, I think it was, PHDDs, who he wants to set up with Nick Cage, Mm. who is a real catch in this film. (laughs) God, Uh, PHDD, that's the worst. One of the worst, yeah, that was truly, no. I got even gayer, just for... (laughs) Me uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> He's only there to establish just how sad and lonely Nick Cage is. Mm-hmm. Just be like, hey, come and date this sexy girl. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And um, for someone, for him to explain stuff to. Yes. Even though Nicholas Cage does do a lot of talking aloud. Yeah. Just every now and again, there'll be some exposition and we need Ben Mendelsohn in the room for that. But yeah, they don't have any kind of banter. They don't bounce off each other. There's no. none of that. And it doesn't... It, it makes the characters just... I didn't care because the characters mm. weren't people. Mm-hmm. There were no characters in this had like recognizably human traits. They were just one thing. Mm-hmm. He, he was just like depressed alcoholic dad. Rose Byrne was mom. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was it. She mom, said nothing about herself in the entire film other than that she was single. Mom who loves her daughter. Mom that's who it. loves her daughter. That's it. So yeah. Ben Mendelsohn is friend who also knows science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> there is nothing there. No. Oh. What's on your scientific mind today? Do you remember Kim's little sister? PH double D's? Remember her? Is it ethical to say things like that about your sister-in-law? What? It's factual. It's peer-reviewed. I mean, it's like... Anyway, whatever. She's in town this Friday. Okay. And she thinks that you're intriguing, which I thought was code for gay, but apparently not, because she's asked if you would join us for dinner. Now, did... At any point in this film, because you went into this blind, right? I did go into this completely blind, yeah. At any point, did you predict what was going on, what was happening? I had a lot of questions, which yeah. you know, we'll get to we get to the versus plot points. No, I would say no. I didn't expect it to go the way it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, it's aliens? Question mark? Angels? Mm-hmm. Angel, aliens? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really, after a certain point, and we'll get to it, 
I started to wonder, and I still don't have an answer. Has Harry made me watch a religious cult movie? <laughs> like, is this one of those movies like Battlefield Earth that's like a thinly veiled thing about what Scientologists really believe? I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Yeah, because that was the vibe I was getting. I was yeah. like, I, I felt a little violated. I felt like yeah. I was being recruited. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how did you discover this? Is this another Foyna Chapel original? I don't think so. Or, uh, um, no, I don't remember. I, I remember seeing a trailer for it. and Well, that's the other thing. I was shocked. to like When this when I finished watching it, I was like, oh, well, that was an entertaining, one of the many bombs in Nick Cage's career that I'm sure mm-hmm. just came and went in five minutes. Mm-hmm. This film made almost 200 million at the box office. Mm. This film was a big hit and it only mm. cost 50 million. Okay. This film made shed loads. It doesn't have the feel of a big hit. It has the feel of a flop. Like, it does, yeah. Yeah. It looks great though. It mm, It looks parts of it look great. Parts of it I had issues. Really? I just can't get on board with a CGI burning moose. <laughs> it just looked too stupid. Oh, uh, that was a bit much, yeah. yeah. Fair enough on that one. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so uh, Nicholas Cage has to brush off because his son is attending that ceremony and so he needs to be there for whatever reason. Yeah, so it's the groundbreaking for the time capsule that was buried 50 years previously. Yes. yes. And so they get it out. The uh, the teacher who buried it is still, still alive, alive today, mm-hmm. um, you know, in her you know early 150s. Yeah. She was giving me real, like, old lady from Titanic vibes. Yeah. <laughs> it's been 84 years. <laughs> I was getting a lot of Aunt May kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, uh, Marissa Tomei? No. <laughs> so they... they Dig up the time capsule. Dig up the time capsule and there's this whole big ceremony and then they open it without ceremony, just like on a picnic bench. Yeah. Um, but the kids are super hyped up to get yeah. these time capsule things. They are the most excited kids I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like you'd think they were getting the latest Pokemon or something. You know, it's mm. like, why are they so invested in this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they, they each get given a drawing, mm-hmm. which, you know, just ask, uh, another idea here of what would be more interesting, a letter. Yeah. Like, still, a, like, a tad boring, but at least it'd be like, oh, well, you know, I hope that uh, everybody is now living on the moon and stuff. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that you'd actually do in a time capsule. You'd mm. write a little letter about, hey, hello from 1959. Mm. So the, the main kid, um, Nick Cage's son, Caleb, mm-hmm. is called, one of the many suspiciously biblical sounding yeah. names of this film. <laughs> yeah. that, that set my, on, at my cult movie antenna <laughs> straight away. I was like, this film has a lot of very biblical names. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, t- he ends up taking Lucinda's letter home with him and Nick Cage kind of says hey that's for the school that's not for us to keep mm. then why are they giving them out to all the kids to like run around with if they're not yeah. for them yeah it's bizarre because then there's a bit where he's like looking at all these numbers and this other kid runs over and says that's boring we all got pictures mm. yeah okay great yeah these kids are like 13 12 they're not super babies like no. why are they so excited about a crappy drawing of a rocket <laughs> mm. Mm. yeah and so there's all these numbers on the page uh, which Caleb takes home and Caleb Whatever. Uh, and Nicolas Cage eventually pours whiskey on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he, is, he is drunk, Dad. Yeah. He is drunk 24-7. Never seems to, like, negatively affect him in a meaningful way, apart from no. the fact that he's always drunk. Mm. Like, he's always jumping into his car, but he seems fine. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, he seems to be a functioning human being. Very Most much so, yeah. He's holding down a decent job. His son seems mostly well-adjusted, yeah. given his mother died recently. Yeah. He's doing all right. So this film is a good advertisement for just living on whiskey. Um, Yeah, but yeah, he spills a bit of it, and it conveniently spills in a neat little ring over nine eleven two thousand (laughs) and one. Yeah, yeah. So he then writes down on a whiteboard nine one one oh one, and then like two eight eight two or whatever it is, and then he's trying to work out what 
we've all worked out already, (laughs) and he's doing it wrong. Like, he doesn't get it first try. Mm -hmm. He's an astrophysicist, I think. He should, even drunk, he should work out, oh, that says 9-11. Because if it doesn't say 9-11... It just doesn't say anything, yeah. Then then, then why is he writing it down? What's the significance, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's like 91... 10, like, no, it says 9-11, what's wrong with you? So, Is this the first instance of him expositioning to himself as well in, a, in an empty room? Yeah, pretty I much. I think he says something like, 9-11, 2001, mm. damn. It's just like, it's that level of just like, yeah. Yeah, spoon feeding. The and audience. so then, not that he's wondering what the four digits afterwards, you know, 2882 or whatever it is. Yeah. He's not wondering about those. He then just goes onto iGoogle.com. He Googles 9-11 and, you know, because he doesn't know. No, yeah. Living in America in... 2009. In yeah. New York. Oh, yeah, they are in New York, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so. he might be in, like, the outskirts or something. So yeah. I think he's Massachusetts, actually. Oh, oh, no, yeah, no, MIT is Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah so. but, like, East Coast, vaguely. Sure, sure, sure. He might have heard of 9-11. Sure. I did... <laughs> I was like, what's an acceptable period of time to have passed before 9-11 can be used in hokey sci-fi movies in this way. It felt disrespectful, a little bit. Like, apparently eight years. Apparently eight years is enough. Um, and I'm sure this wasn't the first one to do it, so... Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, and so he looks at 9-11 and notices that the amount of people who died in 9-11 is then written down. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's weird. Yeah. And so then he rips a whiteboard off a wall. Oh, yes, he does. Like, smashes up most of his house. Like, he rips that off the wall half the plaster comes with it. Yeah. Like, the wall falls off, pretty much. He takes. I think it was a load-bearing whiteboard. So, yeah, <laughs> wasn't like, it? Dangerous um, ground. He, he, go, he goes down to his man cave, yeah. throws everything on the floor for no reason, mm-hmm. empties the coffee table, empties all the shelves onto the floor and everything, and just puts the whiteboard up, just balanced on a chair or something, and writes out all the numbers mm-hmm. from the paper onto the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. Why is he not doing this on a computer? <laughs> Does he own a computer? Yes, you see him because he has iGoogle. He, well, he uses his mobile phone a lot, I he, think. No, well, he, or his iPad or something. Whatever they, it wouldn't be an iPad in 2009. He, he had an iMac. He never seems to sit down at like a... Yeah, he had, he had a keyboard and mouse. Oh, did he? Okay, fine. Yeah. I'll take it back. Okay. Um, yeah, get a spreadsheet up. Jesus. Like, yeah, because like, then you can, you can you could sort things, you could order things or whatever, rather than like writing out all those numbers onto a whiteboard that you're just going to have to write out somewhere else. Maybe. I'm going to make a bold statement here. Yeah. I don't think he was a very good scientist. <laughs> oh, well, let's hope that Nicolas Cage isn't listening, because yeah. he's going to come and get you. I'm, I'm sure he will, yeah. yeah. Look at this. Look at the numbers beside the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2,996. Right. That's how many people died in the attacks that day. Yeah. All right, stay with me. I know how this sounds. But I've matched these numbers to the dates of every major global disaster for the last 50 years in perfect sequence. Except for three. And these events haven't occurred yet, starting with this one. So tomorrow, somewhere on the planet, this number string predicts that 81 people are going to die in some kind of tragedy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, have a listen to yourself. I know. It sounds pretty crazy. Right? I know. I mean, even for you. Uh, yeah, and so then he, he works out, he finds out there's loads of dates and... Uh, amount of deaths for mm-hmm. many, many different uh, accidents, not accidents, but... Tragedies. In- incidents, tragedies that have yeah. happened over the past 50 years. Yeah. And he's like, oh, this is weird, because this was only dug up yesterday, and it was buried 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. How do they know all this? Hmm, that's odd. Mm-hmm. And that's the plot of the film. Basically, yes. Yeah. And then he also sees that there's, like, three or four events still to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one is conveniently the next day. Well, they all seem to be happening in the next, like, three or four days. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, to be fair, this film is like it, it's fate. Every, every, everything's fate, and like he conveniently appears where the next accident happens, and he doesn't even realise that's going to be the case. Sure, I was a bit confused. There was, there was a lot of convenience, and it is talked about, so I'll let that. That's okay, fine. Yeah, but it was like. It seemed like the scale of the events that this piece of paper was predicting varied wildly. Yes. So it was like 9-11, thousands die. Yes, one of the great modern tragedies. That's obviously going to be up there. Mm-hmm. The hotel fire that killed his wife and killed 41 people, mm-hmm. also on the list. Mm-hmm. How often do you think some kind of incident happens in which between like 10 and 50 people die? Yeah, well, let's say that 40 is the minimum that's on this sheet. That's the threshold, Yeah, yeah. And the, I'm pretty sure these events are happening all over the world, the ones yeah. that, that are on this sheet. Yeah. And there's there's surely more than 50 times... Sorry, more than that many times in the past 50 years. I think there's been more... Happen- 40 happen- or more people have died years, in a yeah. single event. Absolutely, yeah. That's what I mean. If it should have been like... Any plane dreams. crash. Yeah. Multiple like buses crashing yeah. and just road pile-ups. And- yeah. Like a day in Syria. You know what yeah. I mean? Just like- <laughs> yeah, war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was like... Oh, these are all the sad things that happen to white people. And then I was like, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. might be what it really was. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, he's driving on the motorway to go and pick up his son from school, which he woke up late for. I mean, I guess he didn't have any classes on a Tuesday. <laughs> he, he doesn't seem to, he seems to have a pretty free schedule. Like, yeah. that one class is the only work you ever see him do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he goes to pick up his kid, uh, and he's running late, and the motorway's completely jammed up because there's been an accident or something. Mm-hmm. He's looking out for an accident where, like, 80 people are going to die. Yes. Because um, not- that's what the paper is foretold. Yeah. yeah, and that's why he was up late, because he was watching the news or something. Yeah, but, yeah, the thing that you've not mentioned is that, so... He's figured out that there's a pattern of numbers that shows the dates of these disasters and the number of people who are going to die, mm. but there's also a, a separate like column of numbers for each one, mm. and he can't figure out what they're for. No. It's like a four-digit number that doesn't seem to correspond to anything. Yeah. Until... Until he's here, there on the motorway, and he's you know looking at a sheet of numbers, and he notices that those four numbers that apply to today's uh, tragedy, they are his current longitude and latitude. Yes. Um, and he's like, oh, it's location. Oh, I'm here. <laughs> and so then he's like, okay, well, I'll go up and see what's holding the traffic up just to see if 84 people have died. Yeah. And he goes up and 84 people have not died. No, it's just like some kind of car accident. And then there is a very intense plane crash. Oh, my God. This was probably the best bit of the film. Well, I don't... I... Like, technically speaking. God help me, I laughed. <laughs> Why? It was just so over the top. Like, and it was, it was really going for that, like, you know... Almost saving Private Ryan, like really one, was, wasn't it? That the one long shots of mm-hmm. people like running out of the plane on fire, but it's just Nicolas Cage like strolling through this. So this plane, the CGI plane, crashes into the mo- into the motorway, mm-hmm. bursts into flames, mm-hmm. and then Nicolas Cage kind of runs towards the flames. You say CGI plane, it looks fine. No, 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 it wasn't bad. I think it was a mix of practical effects and mm. yeah, some CGI. Yeah, but yeah, it, it just it's just him running. Some past of the some who, of the fire um, when it was close up looked like it was very much added in later. Oh, definitely. That's what I mean. It's just him walking past people, just like literally running past on fire. Like ah, mm. it was just it, it was a lot, and it just kept going mm. for such a long time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like it. No. Well, also because I feel as someone who like flies not all the time, but you know, a couple of times a year, once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing that kind of assuages the general fear of flying is that like, well, if you are going to die, at least everyone says it's a quick death. Mm. This did not look like a quick death. No. This is a horrifying <laughs> death. This is literally being immolated alive. Like, yeah. Slowly. Like, mm. Not fun. Yes, and so Nicolas Cage is now a bit shaken up and everything, and 
Uh, I'm not really sure what happens directly after this. Well, this is when he figures out, because now he knows what all the numbers mean. It's like, okay, so now I know uh, yeah. the dates, and I know the locations, and he goes back and checks, and it's right, like 9-11 was the, it was the longitude and latitude of the mm-hmm. top Twin Towers, etc. So now he has to prevent the next event, or try to, because mm-hmm. the next event is going to happen in New York again. Uh, yeah. And it's happening the next day or something, or maybe a couple of days later, whatever. He, he has to like call in a warning for it, basically. He, mm-hmm. he has to see if he can prevent this tragedy. And he does the most half-assed job oh, God, anybody's yeah. ever done. Mm-hmm. Like, I could do more. And <laughs> I'm the king of half-assing it. <laughs> well, he phones... From a, from a payphone as well. He For no reason the, yeah. from a payphone. Well, I guess he doesn't want to get tracked. I was surprised he didn't get arrested as, like, a suspect in that oh, yeah. incident. Yeah, totally. But... Because that's where I thought it was going to go, from not really knowing where this film was going to be going. Mm. So, yeah, he f- determines the next event's going to take place. And so he calls up the FBI. He just calls the police. He just calls the police. He, he, he just calls 911. Yeah. And he's like, there's going to be a terror attack on this location, mm-hmm. on this date. Cordon it off, make sure no one goes in. Mm. And then he goes down on that day, acts very suspiciously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super suspiciously. Mm-hmm asks why it hasn't been... Like, there's a police presence there. They're obviously looking into it, but they've mm-hmm. not 100% called it off. Mm. So he questions some security, some member of the police force, mm-hmm. and they chase, he ends up getting chased down into the subway, basically, mm. where the actual event takes place. Yeah, where he suddenly sees, like, oh, shit, there's loads of people here, and he's expecting, like, 150 people to die or yeah. something like that. Well, they have, like, a bit of a red <clears throat> herring, don't they, where you think it's a guy, a suicide bomber or something. <sighs> <laughs> like I, I remembered that that, that that guy was a red herring so I remembered what happened but I didn't remember that he was just stealing DVDs yeah, why was like, he running so much like well he he got, he got a bit scared because somebody's chasing him he already committed a crime and then it just gets more intense but sure just stealing DVDs like oh my god that's the most mid noughties thing that you could do sure yeah just an armful of blue rays <laughs> yeah. see I didn't know what was going to happen but I also immediately was like oh that's a red herring mm. it was just so, they made it so obvious mm-hmm. it, was, it was not a surprise to me when he dropped when he dropped DVDs I was a bit like same as yours like ha what a mid noughties crime but yeah so, <laughs> I wish they'd shown the labels I would have liked to have seen I would have loved it if they were all like bad Nicolas Cage movies <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be good yeah and so then there's an electrical fault or something yeah it's not actually anyone's fault is it or not that no. we learn it's just a, well, a disaster you do actually overhear it on the news that they trace it back along with the plane crash to just electrical faults due to solar activity oh I see. okay that leads on to some questions I'll be asking when we get to later in the plot so mm-hmm. I'll park those for now but okay yeah. that that's interesting that makes sense okay. mm-hmm. um, so it's an electrical fault that causes one of the platforms to switch or not switch or something and so a high speed train that's supposed to just pass by mm-hmm. actually gets diverted onto the platform yeah and, uh, yeah, crashes into the stationary train that Nicolas Cage is already on. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, and then just, like, flies. He, he, he saves a pregnant lady. And, uh, yeah, then it just kind of flies into the platform, killing hundreds of people. Yeah, so basically, once again, he's, he fails to prevent mm-hmm. the accident, but he survives. Yeah, so he's just a bit shocked from that as well. And he's like, oh, well, on to the next one. Which, this film didn't really have enough into, like... Man with the list tries to stop disasters. Well, no, he just tries to stop that one, and then he kind of. Yeah. Well, the next is the next one, the one that's the end of the world. No, I could swear there's another one. Is there? When does Rose Byrne come into it? He tracks her down because he's like, uh, "Your mum made this thing." Oh, okay, a, a, yeah. A, a, according to old lady teacher, because he goes and sees the old lady. That's it, yeah. Because his... who, who has dementia and also an excellent memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she doesn't seem to have dementia. She seems, she seems a little forgetful. She offers him a drink twice. Like, mm. yeah. 
Bad short-term memory. Bad short-term memory. Short. She's like 105. Yeah. Cut her some slack. Yeah, and so he finds out that uh, Lucinda had a daughter. That's it, because he's trying to find Lucinda, who the, the creepy, creepy girl who wrote mm-hmm. the list. And he finds out from the old teacher that she actually has passed away. Mm-hmm. And then, But it turns out she, she has a daughter, yeah. who is... Rose Byrne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then Nicolas Cage goes and tracks down Rose Byrne and he's like, oh, your mum made this list or whatever. Like, Well, he well, tracks her down. He kind of stalks her a little bit. Yeah. Finds out where she lives. She's like a single mom. Mm-hmm. He follows her on a trip to the museum. So he takes his son to the museum mm-hmm. and then he's like, to his son, go flirt with that little girl. Like, he, <laughs> he is! Yeah, yeah. And then he kind of sidles up to Rose Byrne. Mm. If you were in Rose Byrne's position in this part of the film, mm-hmm. you're like walking around, just looking at the, the museum, whatever, just with friends or family, whatever, and this Nicolas Cage just comes <laughs> shuffling up to you mm-hmm. with his unkempt, crazy hair and his mm-hmm. whisper voice and just started like making chit-chat. So you, you, would you not run a mile? Yeah, I mean, she, she does after a while. Yeah, but it takes us some time. She's very like receptive mm-hmm. to this very creepy little come on. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I would be instantly like, get away from my child. Like, Pretty much, and yeah. me. Yeah. So anyway, she has a drink with him, and then he's, he says, oh, we didn't mean by accident. So your mum made this thing of numbers or whatever, mm-hmm. and she has essentially predicted the future. What are we going to do about this? Yeah, he, he wants to find out what she knows about yeah. mum's background and stuff. And she's like, oh, my mum lived in this wood camp. Well, no. First of all, she's like, uh, fuck off. And, yeah. then, and then I think the subway accident happens. That's it, yeah. yeah. And so she takes him to go and see her mother's log cabin or something where she was brought up. And yes, another cabin in the woods. Yeah. yeah. And also where her mother uh, killed herself. Yes. There is small mention of her father. And I would love to see the story of how little girl Lucinda, <laughs> like, held down a relationship. <laughs> yeah, I had that thought. It, 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 it's not that, like, she got pregnant. Like, okay, I could see many unhappy situations in which she was made pregnant or something. Sure, yeah. But... No, held down a relationship, okay. (laughs) Even though she's been possessed for her entire life, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it was very feel very inadequate. Mm. (laughs) Who are you? Yeah, it's awkward. You don't know me. I'm John Kessler. I teach astrophysics at MIT. My son goes to William Dawes Elementary, which is the same school your mother went to. Fifty years ago, she put this in a time capsule. It's a list of dates events that uh, I think she believed would happen. Look, I don't know what any of this is about. And I thought if I could talk to you or your father... My father's dead. I think it's possible that there are people like your mother, Lucinda, who can see things before they occur. Abby, we're leaving! Honey! I followed one of your mother's predictions, and I watched 81 people burn to death in that plane crash yesterday. When she said it would happen, where she said it would happen, and there was nothing I could do about it. She says 178 people will die tomorrow in New York City, and in three days' time, October 19th, 33 more. Stay away from me and my daughter. Yeah, and so, oh, at the end of the numbers, there's what he thought was a number 33. Yeah, but she helpfully points out, what if it's two backwards E's? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I don't know why you'd come up with that, but okay. Yeah, sure. And he's like, oh, well, I guess it must stand for something. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mr. Scientist, well done. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, and so then at the log cabin, he lifts up the bed or something, mm-hmm. and on the bottom of the bed, it scratched everyone else or something, and the music really kicks in. That might be the hokiest yeah. moment of the whole film. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, well, he, he finds the bed, doesn't he? Because there's a whole running thing with like these little beach pebbles. Yes, yeah. and these weird men who keep coming and trying to abduct children. Yes, 
The um, whispers. Because his son at this point is hearing the same whispers that Lucinda heard mm-hmm. when she was writing her crazy list. Yeah. And so then Nicholas Cage's like, oh, shit, that's the end of the world. That's, that's supposed to happen. Yeah. Then he very quickly deduces exactly how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a big solar flare. A big solar flare, which I looked up is not a thing. No. Um, well, fair enough. I'm glad, <laughs> I yeah. Did... Um, I'm a bit nervous. Like, could that happen? No. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine for sci-fi to add a little bit of fiction. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Sometimes it has yeah. to. So, yeah, it turns out that the sun is going to send out a big solar flare mm-hmm. and it's going to basically engulf the planet Earth and incinerate everyone. Yeah. At this point, the film has lost everything that the trailer gave it, as in... <laughs> The synopsis is Nicolas Cage finds a list of events that are going to happen. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then from this point on, it's now something else, I guess. Yeah. The end of the world. Yeah, it feels like it really rose itself into a corner a little bit. Yeah, man. big time. Mm-hmm. Big time. And so he floats the idea that they should go and hide out in the caves. No, um, that's her idea. I guess it was his idea just to sort of like keep her calm or something. Well, yeah, that's, sorry, yes. Like, I think like she g- wants, give her some hope. Yeah, it doesn't... You never get the sense that he actually thinks they can survive that way. Rose Byrne's character is desperately looking for some kind of hope in this situation. So he's mm-hmm. like, well, maybe we could get underground. Yeah. And yeah, but he, he seems pretty half-hearted about it all. Yeah. He's gone to the school, ripped off the door, because he needs to find out that last bit of information, taking it back to the house, and Rose Byrne's like, what are you doing? We need to get to the caves. That's it, yeah. And then he's like, the caves won't save us, or something. Mm. This was the closest the movie got to like the kind of crazy Nick Cage movie that I wanted it to be, mm. when the whole... like big reveal at the end it comes down to like dramatic paint stripping yeah <laughs> yeah he's like furiously scraping paint off an old door and that's like mm-hmm. and like screaming and his hair's all crazy like mm-hmm. that's that's the kind of Nicolas Cage I want John please what are you doing we have to get to the caves we're not going to the caves what she knew the coordinates for this last event she tried to write them down the teacher said she was interrupted ran out of time so she's crashing into this door. She's trying to tell us where to go. You're not making any sense. Look at you. Look at what you're doing. The numbers are the key to everything. Please, please, John, we need to leave. And uh, yeah, so then he finds out where where they need to go. But first of all, he needs to go and get his kid back. So he knows where they've gone. Mm-hmm. So the kids get kidnapped by these weird, whispery alien things that have been stalking them through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, he goes to the cabin, finds that the kids are there, both with a rabbit in hand. Yeah, um, what was that? I don't know. Um, like the kid had a rabbit at the beginning, but... Did he? I don't the know son that. had a rabbit at the beginning. And I was like, that's sure. going to come back. Yeah, but, okay. Yeah. I'm just guessing it was like a Noah's Ark situation. Sure, just rabbits. Yeah. Also to signify, like, yeah, you're going to have to have a lot of sex and make a lot of babies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Again, with the religious undertones in this film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not an undertone by the end. No, it's a, it's a full-on overtone, um, yeah. And so, and so Nicolas Cage accepts that his son needs to go when he's not allowed to go or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then these beings which transform into quite literal angels. Well, they look a lot like the robots from AI, the end of AI. Big blue spindly robots. Sure, yeah, but with big wings. Big, with big wings, yeah, sure. Big, big wings. And so they take the kids into their spaceship or whatever, go off into space. You mm-hmm. see that there's actually hundreds of ships departing our planet. Yeah. Um, and they all just fly off into the distance. Nicolas Cage then just sort of falls asleep. He, yeah, he, he, he does some sad crying in the rain. <laughs> yeah, he does some sad crying in the rain, yeah. Yeah. Um, he has a little bit of a nap. Yeah, has a bit of a nap. Wakes up in the morning. Yeah, still alive. Yeah. yeah drives to his parents' house while listening to classical music as mm-hmm. there's riots and everything everywhere. Yeah. slow motion drives while the whole planet is falling to shit. Yeah, and so then he goes back to his, his parents' house, 
who he, I think, is estranged from. He's estranged from his dad, Apart yeah. from a phone call a half an hour ago. Yeah. Well, again, it's a, another very subtle like bit of subtext of this film, is that they make out that he's been estranged from his dad because his dad is a pastor and he's a scientist. So mm-hmm. it's like they have very different worldviews. Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess Nicolas Cage comes back into the faith and they, they hug it out. Yeah. Because yeah. his dad says something like, you know we're going to be okay. Yeah. And, and he's like... Yeah, I know that now. Yeah. Or something like that. And it's I like, just felt so... Yeah. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. I really felt manipulated by this film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then uh, they all die. Fair play. They do actually show like the full planet being immolated and everyone getting burnt to death. And it's... Mm-hmm. The, the, again, it, it felt a bit porny. It felt, it felt very like, here's, here's the rapture. You know, it was like, here's mm-hmm. the world literally being burnt and all the buildings collapse. And it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... That happens. I mean, slightly earlier in the film, they do say the president has been taken to a secure location. So I'm just like, okay, so are they trying to pitch like some kind of a sequel here where the president is still alive? Because bear in mind, we did mention the boy did write an entire sheet of numbers. And I'm oh, thinking yeah. like... What was those? What's, what's that for? They never said. It didn't come up they, again, did it? That never did come up, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that paper probably got burnt. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. Um, paper being quite flammable. Yeah. <laughs> so... Don't know. Maybe there's supposed to be some kind of a sequel there. Perhaps, yeah. I don't know. It's not what I've done. No. Yeah, and then we see the kids uh, getting deposited onto this weird alien planet mm-hmm. where all the grass looks weird. It's CGI corn, isn't it? Yeah. Like cornfields. Yeah. It's like corn but made of rubber. Mm-hmm. I think that's just the CGI. I guess, yeah. The kids are there both in like white gowns. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it's subtle. Yeah. It's very subtle. <laughs> they... <laughs> They put the rabbits down on the ground and then, like, while holding hands, they run through fields of corn mm. towards this giant, giant tree, tree covered in life, blossom. Yeah. yeah, it's like, Ugh. oh my god. <laughs> Ugh. Nicholas Cage, why? Yeah. <laughs> how much money did you need, man? <laughs> and that's how the film ends. Mm. I had a lot of questions about this ending. Yeah? When it turned out it was aliens, mm-hmm. I was like, so what are they doing? What, what, why are they doing this? Are they just going to? Are they just here to rescue the children? Right? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, but why would, for example, did they show Caleb the vision of the burning moose? What was that supposed to achieve, mm. other than traumatizing this poor kid? Mm, nothing. Nothing. No. no. Why did they torture Lucinda, drive her insane, and make her end up killing herself? Why not rescue her? She was a kid. There's no reason for it. There's no reason for the sheet of numbers. No, no. Be- because, be- because, like, Nicolas Cage doesn't make a difference to anything. No, he doesn't accomplish anything. No. All he does is deliver the kids to that, that location. Sure. That's it. So does that mean, because we see them saving hundreds, if not thousands of kids, because mm. you see all the other spaceships taken off, and they, they, the, all the shit they're putting Nick Cage through, are they also putting loads of other parents through it in the exact same way? I guess they must be, yeah. Why not just take the kids? Yeah. You know? If the world's on fire, most people are like, oh, here's a chance for my kids to live. Yeah, sure, you know. Mm, yeah, stuff like that. Or, you know, even if you do need to actually kidnap kids. Yeah. Just Kidnap do it. the kids? Yeah. Hundreds of kids get kidnapped every day. They do, I see. Yeah. Let's just assume it's all by angels. Yes, that, that, that's a it's a nice way of thinking about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> They've all gone to heaven. Yeah. Or to Eden, I should say. Sure, yeah. But also, yeah, so are they, are these aliens observing? Are they causing all these natural disasters then? Um... I don't know. Is this movie saying that 9-11 was an inside job by angels? Is that what this movie is positing? I think possibly, yes. That's oh, There's so many layers of that that I don't yeah. even know where to begin with that. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. It was fucked up episode of Touched by an Angel I've ever watched in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any more questions? Many, but we don't have time. 
Okay, sure. Mostly, I wrote down in capital letters, what was the point of all this? Yeah, there's, there's none. Like I say, nothing that Nicolas Cage does affects anything, really. Like, yeah. it just seems like they were toying with him, mm-hmm. right? Uh, other than the fact that he has his literal come-to-Jesus moment at the end, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which, I guess, means they're supposed to be alien, angels. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't care for this film. No? No. No. Like, it wasn't unwatchable, but I wanted it to be... More than it was. I wanted it to be crazier. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just felt preachy and quite dour. Mm-hmm. Like... I do like the ballsiness of a film that actually does end with the actual apocalypse. Like, they don't stop it. They do yeah. die. Yeah. But by the same token, it just... Yeah, there was no sense of, like, fun or excitement. Or I didn't really care that he died because his character wasn't interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody else's character was particularly interesting either. So I just didn't like it very much. No. No. Sorry. No, that's, no, that's fair. It's mm. fair. It's not the best film in the world at all. No. Just thought it'd be quite inter- interesting. It was, to talk it was, about. It's a different take. I'm glad we've now had a religious take on yeah. the um, disaster movie because I think that's an important. We've not version. done many films that have been this heavy in religion. No, we've not. This is so. probably the heaviest. Yeah, I think. Do you reckon that's? I can't remember how it was marked. Do you think this movie is explicitly made for religious people? Then I don't think so. No, I don't know. By religious people, yes, maybe. Yes, maybe it's like for sinners like us to watch it and be like, oh, yeah. let's let's convert. Like, yeah. Mm. Pretty sure. I'd yeah. To, yeah, I'd be interested to read up on like the backgrounds of the people who produced it, who funded this film. Like, mm. Why was Nicolas Cage in it? Yeah. Why, he... why wasn't it Tom Cruise? Well, because he was also in that film Left Behind, which is super crazy religious yeah. as well. <laughs> maybe he's just gone like, maybe he's like, he's a bit quieter about it than your John Travolta's, but maybe he's just, yeah, gone mm. off the deep end religiously. So. Mm-hmm. God, that's another bad film, isn't it? It is. It probably came out around the same time. He just had a bit of a period of religious nut films. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. There we go. I don't want to go without you. They could have taken you away from me, but they didn't. Because you, you have to make this decision yourself. But you promised. You said we'd be together forever. We will be. We will be. I'm not leaving you. But you gotta go with them. You gotta go. You gotta go with them. Listen to me, Kim. Stop, stop, stop. Listen, listen to me. Listen. We're gonna be together. We're all gonna be together. And mom's gonna be with us too. I know it. I know that now. I know it. Great. Well, before we get to sequels, we need to do some drinking games. That's we it. Do. That's what drinking we do. Drinking games, yes. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, first one I've got drink what they drink. Drink for day drinking, yeah. yeah. Not just Nicolas Cage. I did notice that a uh, 105-year-old teacher was a big old lush as well. Yes, I, I yes. should up the couple. <laughs> yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I had that too. And as a kind of a sister to that one, my first drinking game is drink every time Nicolas Cage is pictured waking up somewhere not in a bed. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Usually face down on a desk or a sofa or the gravel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, that works. He is a mess. Mm-hmm. Drink for balloons. Blue, yes. There's a bit of balloon symbolism in this, isn't there? Mm, yeah. yeah. Don't really know what that means, but yeah. I'm sure it's got some religious connotation, yeah. Mm. Uh, drink for dramatic face acting. Mm-hmm. There is some good Nicolas Cage, especially towards the end. He he just does such big expressions. Because mm. like, he's always reacting against, like, obviously just a blue screen or a green screen. Like, he's obviously not seeing what we're seeing as the audience. And they're mm-hmm. very entertaining. I mean, yeah. I, was always, I was entertained by his face. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, drink for... Drink for hand movements. Hand movements. Again, it's just Nicolas Cage just... Mm, doing that. There's also... Uh, that class at the start when the teacher says, uh, put your thinking hats on. Yeah. And they all just pretend to put thinking hats on in a very uniform way. Like, 
Kids aren't like that. No, no, yeah, none of the kids in this film are like real kids. They're no. all far too well behaved and far too enthusiastic about learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's true. Mm. It's true. Drink every time Nicholas Cage delivers exposition to an empty room. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, drink for shiny black pebbles. Yes, that's a good one. Shiny mm-hmm. black pebbles. I think that's all I've got, really. Okay, and uh, drink for 2009 websites. Oh, yes, yeah. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> drink for numbers, maybe. Pretty much, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Be a lot of that, to be honest. That, that, that might kill you. Yeah. <laughs> drink whenever this movie is heavy-handedly religious. There you go. Yes. Very good. Okay, so before we get to sequels, I just want to let you listeners know that if you've enjoyed this episode, then you can support us by going to patreon.com slash set. If you do so, you can support us by giving as much or as little as you like, and that helps us keep the lights on and, you know, pay our podcasting bills and keep entertaining you. Yeah. Also, if you do that, you get a few things. You get a second episode of Beyond the Boxer every week, mm-hmm. where we, we review cinema releases. Yep. Our latest one is Ma, yeah. which is a... Highly anticipated film of ours. Absolutely, yeah. Octavia Spencer in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. What more could you ask for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you get that. Also, if you become a Patreon, once a month you get to have a 30-second advert slot on the show where you can advertise anything you want to. It can be your own podcast, your own business, or somebody else's podcast, somebody else's business, or just anything you like, anything you want to talk about for 30 seconds. Sky's the limit, guys. Mm-hmm. And finally... Uh, once a month, we have a Patreon episode mm-hmm. where we invite a Patreon on, and they get to choose the movie. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to come on, then you just choose the movie. We'll do it. We'll do it without you. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's in your hands. Mm-hmm. So all that is at Patreon.com/slash/BeyondTheBoxSet. Indeed. Hi, I'm Lee, and I host Connected Hearts, a Kingdom Hearts fan community podcast. Each episode, a guest and I talk about the game series and the fantastic community surrounding it, from artists streamers, cosplayers, and podcasters. We talk about how a dog, a duck, and a boy in silly shorts teaches us that our friends are our power. You can find the show on iTunes or grab the RSS feed from Twitter for the podcatcher of your choice, at Podcast Hearts. And hey, may your heart be your guiding key. Right. Sequels, John. Okay. So, as I probably made clear in our summary of this film, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of unanswered questions Mm -hmm. about this movie. And so for my sequel, I decided to have a go at answering maybe some of them. Okay. okay. Me too. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see what directions we talk. Mm. So my sequel is set... I will be extremely surprised if you take in my direction. I'm sure, yeah. I've got a theory about your one, but I'll wait till your turn before mm. I... Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the sequel is set 40 Earth years after the um, end of the original film. Mm-hmm. Now I say that because obviously Earth has been destroyed. Mm-hmm. But Caleb, the son, and Abby, which is Rose Byrne's daughter, sure. have been... I looked it up. <laughs> yeah. She screams it a lot. Uh, they have been obviously transported to this bad CGI planet, along with, uh, you know, as it turns out, millions of other children that were also saved from the apocalypse by these kind of benign aliens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, 40 years have passed. Basically, it turns out the aliens deposited millions of Earth children that they rescued mm-hmm. but just before the apocalypse, left them with plentiful resources, but also disappeared mm-hmm. and have never been in contact since. So the kids don't know who they were, what the reason for doing that was. They just left them, basically. Yeah. But with, en- with enough supplies and enough knowledge to build a new society, which is what they've done. So these kids have now built a new society. And because of the knowledge that the aliens have left, it's basically a utopia. They've developed sustainable resources. They've mastered the art of space travel, farming. They're very peaceful. You know, there's no war. It's a lovely. They've done space travel in 40 years. Yeah. They're kids in a meadow and they've done space travel in 40 years. The aliens left them some schematics or something. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. 
Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were they were left with everything they needed. Basically, they had all the tools that they required to mm-hmm. create a perfect society. And mm-hmm. sure, it seems like that's what they've done. Yeah. So. Caleb has become a high-ranking scientist in this brave new world. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, he's learned a lot from his dad. And he's now happily married to Abby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, however... Is everybody married to the other person that they arrived with? Let's say yes. Let's say it's a little bit culty like that. Okay, and, and I'm fair to assume that everybody's straight as well. I mean, this is a religious film, so probably... Uh, okay. I, don't, I don't think a lot of LGBT people got rescued, unfortunately. <laughs> Just left down to burn. Mm. Damn it. <laughs> so, he's happily married... High-ranking scientist on this planet. However, he is plagued by nightmares about his father's horrible death, you know, getting burnt alive, mm-hmm. when the Earth was immolated. And at this point, it's been 40 years, he's approaching the same age as his father. Mm-hmm. By the way, little Caleb is now going to be played by Nick Cage. Great. Because, <laughs> like, Rose Byrne played her own mother <clears throat> in the photographs. Yeah. I mean, all the photographs of growing up Lucinda was just Rose Byrne with some slight prosthetic stuff happening. So what's Nicolas Cage wearing prosthetics-wise? Just like some slight facial of prosthetics to make him look like not literally the same person. Mm-hmm. Obviously a wig. Mm-hmm. A good old wig. Mm-hmm. What kind of wig are we talking? Like a bowl cut? Yeah, the kid had a bowl. Yeah, maybe he hasn't changed his hair at all. So it's got that, he's got like the Haley Joel. Slightly blondish bowl cut. Yeah, he's got the Haley Joel bowl cut going on. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Also, Nicolas Cage is way older than 40 now. Well, know, yeah. well it's another 10 years have passed, but you know, sure. Like, this is what the prosthetics can do. They can just bring him down. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Bring him down a few years. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. I mean, he did not look his best in this film. No. He looked very, very like gaunt and um, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> slightly undead. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, so as he's approaching the same age as his father was when he died, every time he looks into the mirror, he's now seeing his father's face, mm-hmm. which you know, obviously, and he becomes obsessed with contacting the aliens and finding out the truth about why they were rescued, because he has all the same questions that I had at the end of this movie, such as. Why did they help? Why only the children? Mm-hmm. What do they want with him? You yeah. know, or what do they want with all the, all the kids? You know, what's the point of it all? And you know, why couldn't the adults have been saved? And as his obsession grows, he starts to hear the whispers again. Mm-hmm. Which obviously in the first film, he's constantly hearing the whispers in his hearing aid mm-hmm. about you know the numbers and stuff. And once again, he finds himself writing down seemingly random sequences of numbers on pieces of paper in like a trance-like state. Sure. And he quickly figures out that rather than the dates of natural disasters like last time, these numbers, and maybe it's the same numbers that he was writing down in the original film that never came up again. Mm-hmm. He does that again, maybe. Realises that these aren't dates and like longitudes and latitudes. These are actually scientific formulae. Ah, okay. For time travel. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, he reasons that the aliens must be communicating with him because there might be a way to go back in time and prevent the end of the world, thus mm-hmm. saving his father's life. Sure. So he becomes obsessed with this. So he's like, I have to figure out how to understand these formulas and actually build a t- my, my own time machine and then travel back in time and stop the end of the world. Okay, great. So at this point, his research starts to attract the attention of the governments on this utopian planet. Uh, there's got to be a government. <laughs> sure. Okay, yeah. They're not still kids. They're all like adults now. So, you know. Yeah. And the, the government... What? What's so funny? No, I'm just imagining that they're all still kids. Just little, little kid yeah. government, like yeah. Lord of the Flies, yeah. Uh, this government, they don't approve of his meddling with time travel because mm. they're very protective of this utopian society that is set up. Mm-hmm. And uh, they fear that altering the timeline could jeopardise their whole existence. Mm-hmm. So this is just because I is think we need... else, like, missing their parents or anything? Probably, yeah. But I feel like we need to have some kind of... I feel like I needed a villain mm-hmm. or some, some kind of, something to stand in his way. Some resistance. Some resistance, yeah. yeah. So maybe there's, like, a corrupt politician who was, like, you know, the president of the world in this, you know, mm-hmm. society... 
And maybe he wants to harness the power of time travel to strengthen his own support in some way. So he's trying to sabotage Nick Cage, basically, or he sends out government agents to sabotage him. Yeah. There's not much there. I've only put that in there just to give him something to resist. Otherwise, this is a very boring movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe Abby is also the wife is also supportive but concerned that her husband's obsession might be driving him slightly insane because he's become very fixated and he's hearing voices mm-hmm. and he thinks he can build a time machine which they all think is quite far-fetched mm-hmm. yeah. but uh, and yes yeah, it's going to be a classic Nick Cage you know small man versus big government plotline like, much like in many of his films yep. so he's attempted to translate the formula and build his time machine but there's also part of the formula that he just can't seem to make fit like, so he's got all the stuff that he knows is how to build a time machine. He just needs to figure out how to make that work. Mm. But there's also some seemingly random numbers, like the longitude and latitude in the original, that don't seem to fit with the rest, and he doesn't know what they're for. And so he's trying to like figure out what they mean, and mm-hmm. it's driving him nuts. Fortunately, as well as inheriting his father's scientific knowledge, he's also picked up his serious drinking problem. <laughs> so one day he's just like, you know, rolling around the cabin, whatever, with his bottle of whiskey. Mm. And just like his father, he accidentally spills a bit of it and creates a perfect... <laughs> Perfect stain ring around these numbers. Mm-hmm. Figures out that they are actually space coordinates. Mm-hmm. So they're telling him a place to go in space. Sure, yeah. So maybe with the government in hot pursuit, he steals a spaceship, flies out to the location where he assumes he's going to meet the aliens. Mm-hmm. So he arrives at this location, and as he expected, you know, and the, you know, the whispers are in his ear, and it's all building up to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And he meets this blue alien, kind of one of the blue aliens, kind of, you know, beams in or whatever maybe they meet up maybe they meet up in the same spaceship because mm. what I'm building to here is he, he meets he comes face to face with the alien and the alien is himself <gasps> shocker yeah okay mm-hmm. and then it's revealed that he was the alien who rescued himself at the end of the original film oh uh, okay yeah so basically it's like a you robber Oscar it's like a you know time is a circle one mm. of those kind of things so what's happened is he developed the technology but then he needed to scare original Nick Cage Mm -hmm. into giving up his son Mm -hmm. which is him Mm -hmm. to allow the whole circle to complete sure does that make any sense whatsoever yes (laughs) yeah yes it does okay yeah so it's like I could only save you and you are me Mm -hmm. by the end of the world was going to happen afterwards so it turns out again it's answering the question about whether it's you know fate or determinism it turns out the aliens did not cause the end of the world Mm -hmm. they didn't cause 9-11 he just knew that because he was a human being who had access to the internet so he knew Mm -hmm. the dates of all these disasters and how many casualties there were etc there was nothing that could stop the world from ending on that day and they didn't have enough spaceships they didn't have the technology to rescue everyone Mm -hmm. so they had to make a hard choice and decide to rescue the children yeah sure so what he did was he developed a he developed the technology and then given it to himself basically Mm -hmm. but in order to do that he had to make sure that his childhood self was taken to yeah the home planet yep that makes sense yeah so basically that's the the answer so you've made yourself a paradox I've made myself a time paradox yeah great a good good old sci-fi time paradox great which I'm sure has a lot of holes that people can pick at but Mm -hmm. that's basically where I ended it really so he and then he I guess he like Maybe he's really angry about that. He's like, "Why couldn't you save my dad?" And he's mm. like, "We couldn't just save one adult. It had to be. You would never have. You would never have developed this technology on your own without with him. Mm. You know, you needed to be driven by something, and his loss is what drove you to do that. And ultimately, it's basically saved humanity. Mm-hmm. Your desire to save your father, you could never do it. It's impossible. But mm. the desire helped you to save humanity. Yeah. So then the film ends with him reluctantly accepting the inevitability of it all, and then he goes down to Earth. He goes back in time. Goes back to Earth the day before the Earth exploded mm-hmm. and rescues his childhood self. Okay, and, yeah. yeah. And thus the cycle continues again. That works. Mm-hmm. 
So not my most comedic sequel ever, but just one. Yeah, I ended up getting lost in my own like mind spiral of what the hell this could have meant. And I just <laughs> had to kind of try and bite my way out of it somehow. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's something. Yeah. <sighs> you got a title for it? Um, something like knowing to, um, no, is, is the answer. Still, still knowing? No, still knowing or like, what's, what, what, what's like the next level up from knowing? Like, maybe knowing to revelations, just make it super biblical. Like, mm, yeah, sure. Yeah. Knowing to thinking. <laughs> knowing to presupposing. <laughs> Something like that. Presupposition. Like that. Presupposition, yeah. Mm, it's right. catchy. Look yeah. great on a poster. Yeah. <laughs> the presupposition. Mm, could happen. Could mm. happen. Uh, okay, yeah. Sure. Cool. Right, I've got mine here. Um, okay, I'm going to make a prediction. Mm. Does yours in any way involve Thanos? No. Okay, good. Uh, it, it did cross my mind. It crossed my mind too much. Yeah. I was like, is this like a Thanos type scenario? Like, yeah. <laughs> so my film starts with a bit of a recap of the original. Okay. Um, starting with the son having its solar flare, kids being picked up aliens, Nicholas Cage and his parents' house with the whole family, mm-hmm. and uh, his dad saying, we're going to be okay, you know, and Nicholas Cage's response saying, I know, as he finally accepts Christianity. Sure, okay, yeah. Um, I'm glad we're all on the same page about what that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we see them get destroyed along with the rest of New York and the world and kids on the planet running towards the tree with rabbits or something. Mm. I don't know. And then we get the intro sequence and uh, the title reveal of All Knowing. All Knowing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good, yeah. And so now we see Nicolas Cage ascending from his physical body at his moment of death. Oh, is he going to heaven? And in doing so, we get a fantastic bird's eye view of his street at its time of destruction. Pulling out, we see New York, North America, the whole planet, the whole solar system, and then fade to white. Right. And then we get Nicolas Cage walking around the clouds for a bit. Is he wearing, like, full white robes? And um... No, I think he's still wearing the same, like, leather jacket and stuff like that. Did he get changed once in this movie? No. no. <laughs> I think I think he's he's looking as, as much out of place as he could at this point. Sure, okay. Like, he's wearing his leather jacket. He's Was he smoking ever? He didn't smoke, no. Okay, cool. He's probably got a drink in hand or something. Sure. He's... He, he, he's a mess. Okay, sure. You know, he looks like he smells. Sure, yeah. He d- yeah. I feel like Nicky probably does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no offence, but... Yeah, so he's wandering for what feels to him like an eternity, uh, an eternity of purgatory, until he comes across a gate guarded by a man with big white wings and a halo, mm-hmm. wearing long white robes and sandals. Is this St. Peter? It is St. Peter. Okay. St. Peter. Like You have to correct me here if I'm wrong. I don't really know what St. Peter does. Mm-hmm. Um, Guards the pearly gates. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's like the bouncer. Like, it's, like they've got the entrance. The list. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, your name's it's, not on the list, love. Sorry. It's, it's, it's lucky that I got his name right, to be honest. Sure. So Saint Peter asked him why he should be let in. Yeah. And Nicholas Cage, in his kind of scientific mind, says like, "Well, why shouldn't you?" Mm. Oh, pose the question back. Yeah. Like it, yeah. To which Saint Peter just says, "No, you tell me why should I let you in?" Okay. Um, and he says that he's just looking for answers. Mm-hmm. He wants to know why the world was ended and why his son, of all people, was chosen to depart to the new world. Mm-hmm. Um, and St. Peter says, yep, that's pretty good reasons. You'll find your answers inside, as he gestures towards the opening gate. Okay. So Nicholas Cage walks in, walks up a long, long flight of cloudy stairs. <laughs> Can um, this be like a long one-shot of him actually just like getting sure. increasingly more out of breath? <laughs> yeah. <just> like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at the top, you can see a very bright light. And as he gets closer, he can see the outline of a man sitting in a big chair. Oh, okay. Knowing that this is God, he picks up his pace a little bit. And as we get close enough, we see that God is, in fact, Nicolas Cage. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
And uh, from here, I have... Imagine a... getting to heaven and that... Yeah, when Nicolas Cage is God. That's God, yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, it, God is not the actor Nicolas Cage. God is this guy. Yeah. John, yeah. John whatever his name is. Professor John. Yes, he's saying God reflected in himself. Yes, yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 I've got a lot of script here. Would you like to be Nicolas Cage or God? I mean, clearly I'm God. You're God? Yeah. Okay, so Nicolas Cage says, wait, I'm God? No, my child. The Bible reads as I created you in my own image. So to you, I only appear in your image. See, I think that's flawless logic. Yeah, sure. You know, that makes sense. But I still can't believe that I'm speaking to God himself. Thyself, please. I have no gender. I am God. Oh, how, like, how modern. Is this coming from the idea that you feel like if you were to go to heaven, I would see, see the divi- your, your vision of the divine would just be yourself? That explains... Well, what am I going to see? Sure. No, it just explains a lot about you, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I didn't already know. But <laughs> sure. <laughs> Look, it's either that or I'm going to see the rock or something like sure, that. Sure, okay. You'd make a good god. What? He would make a good god. The Rock would make a good god, yeah. Mm. Who would play the devil if the Rock was god? Steve Buscemi. Yeah, he'd be a good... Or maybe Vin Diesel. Like, you know, two sides of the same <laughs> coin. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Oh, how modern. I am not modern. I am infinitely old. Wow, that sounds boring. On the contrary. Though I am infinitely old, so is the universe, and it is infinitely big. Um, actually, it's not infinitely big. All matter came from the Big Bang. There was a finite amount of matter spread across a vast but finite amount of space. Yes, from the Big Bang, which you came from. Open your mind. Call yourself a scientist. Uh, did God just insult me? Just keeping myself entertained. Fine. Well, anyway, what, what's, what's going on? Why did you end the world? Because at some point, every world must end so it can start over. Your world has ended many times. The meteor that killed your dinosaurs, Noah's flood, a couple of ice ages, and now this. And you've taken my son to become... Adam? Pretty much. He will help to repopulate a new world, which has just started, and will come to an end one day too. Right, okay, so I, I, I get it. Everything is a loop. Every world has a start and, and an end, and then a start and an end, and so on. So does that not get boring and repetitive for you? Well, I guess it's a bit semi. See? Let me show you what life can be like if it's not like that. Stop ending all the worlds when you believe they should end, and let's just see what happens. You and me. Okay, I'll try this for a lifetime or two. You'll need to be human, and you can't be omnipotent and all-knowing. You'll need a name, something that sums you up quite well. Ooh, I know. Goliath Obadiah Danger. This smells good. Ah, oh, I see. Very clever, very clever. I mean, not that clever, but anyway. Um... Well, that's that's not subtle. Um, okay, let's do this. Take us to a time I recognise, and I'll show you what it means to live like a mortal. And from here on, the rest of the film, which I have not written, <laughs> is just going to be alcoholic Nicolas Cage showing God what it is to be human. So we're seeing twin Nicolas Cages. Yeah. One what? of whom is God. Yeah. I'm going to say God in like with, with long white hair and a long white beard as well. Oh, okay. So they don't look identical. No. Okay. Just on a bender together, just enjoying like the, enjoying partying at the end of the world, or post Pr- the end of the world. Pretty much, yeah. But, you know, God Nicolas Cage is very much a fish out of water. Sure. Well, so is Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage. But, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I like it. Yeah, I think that could be hilarious. You set up the bones of a very good, like, screwball comedy, of the kind of which Nicolas Cage doesn't really do anymore. No. He used to. He's had a few back in the day. I think he should go back to comedy more often. I feel yeah, like be I agree. For him, but, yeah. Yeah, I think the time is right for a Nicolas Cage comedy. And Nicolas Cage playing God. 
Mm. I see it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I can I can very much buy that. Great. Okay. Well, that was all knowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was largely written around the title. It doesn't um, show. I mean, I, I I was thinking Nicolas Cage goes to heaven. I was thinking yeah. like, what would that be like? And I'm just thinking you know, him just being quite inappropriate and stuff. And then the title All Knowing just came, and I was like, right, it's going to be very God centric. Yeah. And uh, it turned out yeah fairly well. I'm fairly happy with it. No, that I think that's I think that's definitely got potential. Yeah, good. All right. Um, listen submissions. Listen submissions. Yes. Let me see what I've got here. So do you have any this week? No, you don't. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I I, I put the call out. And I got, I think it was 31 comments mm-hmm. on one of my posts. Not one of them was li- listen submission. And actually, only one of them was saying, like, well, they'll die at the end, so it's not going to be a secret. Yeah, I was wondering how many of them had actually seen the film. Yeah, I think most of them. Oh, okay. But most people have just been like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Well, <laughs> okay. that was weird, wasn't it? Or stuff like that. Mm, you need to um, be more clear with your uh, call-outs. I was very clear. Mm. I was very, that was literally all I asked, and then I just gave a plot synopsis. It wasn't like, hey, who enjoyed this? <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was... Well, I, I must be posting in more high-quality groups. So, here's Well, given, given your posting on uh, Beyond the Box Sets, Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, I'd, I'd then absolutely. So, yeah. Indeed. Exactly. We have high-quality listeners. Yeah. Uh, so, Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yes. Miles Dornboss said, Knowing Nick Cage <laughs> is a member of the world's worst improv troupe. <laughs> you never say no in improv. <laughs> Stuart Jip said, Knowing too. There was nothing we could do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair. Here's a fun one. So Stephen Jones has found a fun way to tie this into our Boogie Nights episode. Oh, okay. He made the suggestion in that episode for his listener submission that Dirt Diggle and the gang find out that there's a lightsaber. It was the Star Wars oh, one. Okay. Where it's Boogie Nights of the Old Republic. So it, he's decided <laughs> that that's actually that Boogie Nights of the Old Republic was actually a porn parody of knowing. <laughs> okay. About a man who found a sheet of paper with numbers predicting the dates and times of every orgasm he would ever have and ever would have. Called, <laughs> and it's called... Oh, ink. <laughs> yeah, that's all very good. Mm-hmm. Joe Hernan said, known. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Kieran Cowan said, knowing too, knowing you. Knowing me, knowing you. <laughs> yeah. Have a. Yeah, yeah. Jacob Hill said, knowing too. I know what I did in this movie because I've seen it already. <laughs> and Stephen Phillips Lee said, knowing too, it's half the battle. Mm-hmm. And then over on Twitter, the Contrarians at Contrarian Prime said, unknowing. In an alternate timeline, Nick Cage's kid scribbles don't mean anything. He's just a kid with a hyperactive imagination. But the end times happen anyway. <laughs> uh, Blokebusters, at Blokebusters, said, Me slash you, an alternate cut of the film where the entire soundtrack consists solely of ABBA songs. <laughs> There's also an insane amount of the Alan Partridge aha every time a song finishes. Mm-hmm. Hey, it makes as much sense as this film does. Yep. One Star Bazaar, at One Star Bazaar, said, Oof, I rewatched this one a few weeks ago. It is rough. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can really have a sequel with the way it ended. It has real Bible vibes at the end, though. No shit. Uh, so how about a Garden of Eden type ending? So, uh, yeah, called The End is the Beginning is the End, maybe. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, False Starts Podcast, at False Starts Pod, said, Knowing too, ain't I a stinker? A wacky comedy about all these troubled kids being raised by their adoptive alien parents. Hijinks ensue as the kids rebel and adjust to their new lifestyle, led by Caleb, who knows just how to get under the alien's skin. Will they ever learn to get along? Mm. So I guess it's like adolescent kids versus the aliens who kidnap them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, good work. Uh, and Aussie Nerds at Aussie Nerd Pod said, Not knowing. It's the same movie, but he, like the audience, has no idea what's going on or why they're watching this. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So those are our list of submissions for knowing. If you mm-hmm. have any sequel ideas for knowing or any films we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all the podcasting platforms, including iTunes, 
Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, you name it, we're on it. If we're not on it, let us know and we will get on it. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set on Twitter. And you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash beyond the box set. And we have exclusive merchandise available at tpublic.com forward slash beyond the box set. Mm-hmm. And uh, next week next it's week, your turn. It's my choice, yes. So I've decided we've done two very bad, well, we've done two questionable disaster movies. You know. Yeah, I mean, Geostorm is exactly what it tried to be. This one is, it's a it's a swing and a miss yeah. that made money. It, 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 arguably, it's exa- arguably, it's exactly what it tried to be. It's a bunch of religious propaganda, like... You say that, a, but then earlier in an episode you did say, and I agreed that it very much wrote itself into a corner. It did, yes, it did. No, it, I had a, it had a concept that didn't have an end. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree. I didn't. I don't think this is a successful film. No, I would argue Geostorm is more successful because it's it's just entertaining all the way through. Mm, yeah. So I, anyway. would, I wouldn't be madly surprised if Geostorm got a sequel. No, not at all. I think the only reason, it, weirdly, that that lost money and this made money. Hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Well, in that case, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, it might still one day. You never know. Mm. Okay. Cool. Well, I thought we should definitely do a slightly more respectable end of the world type mm-hmm. film before we run out of this season so I'm going to suggest that we do the 90s classic that is Deep Impact oh good one yeah okay yeah featuring President Morgan Freeman ah President the dream Morgan we all Freeman. dream of yeah. has he ever done a bad role I'm sure he, he, he's been in bad movies he's very prolific oh has, has he ever done a bad role oh do you mean has he ever been bad in a film mm. not that I've seen I mean he's pretty reliable hmm I think he automatically adds a certain degree of like credibility to anything he's in, just by even being... if it's like Bruce Almighty or something. Exactly. Yeah, he just yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like he yeah he's one of those actors who just adds prestige. Yeah. Like he's like the male Merrill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, have we done the Morgan Freeman before? I don't know that we have. I've long wanted to do Gone Baby Gone, but it's a bit depressing, so mm. I've never really known if it would fit or not, but. Uh... No, I mean, I really like him. Mm, There's yeah. loads we could do. We could definitely do... Well, we almost did Shawshank and then decided not to. Mm, so yeah. that's definitely one we'll, we'll probably get to at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, okay, well, Deep Impact, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to watching young little Elijah Wood. Oh, yeah, riding a little motorbike. baby Elijah Wood, yeah. yeah. Cool, so join us next week for Deep Impact. Great. See you next week, guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Spencer, tell me something about the sun. It's hot.